scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? For fun? doorstep and get the hell out of here okay um but what about the money what money well you'd have to pay for your pizza sir that effect how much do i owe you uh that'll be 11.80 sir Keep the change, you filthy animal. Cheapskate. Hey, I'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. One, two, ten. <laughs> In 1975, a film crew set out to make a movie about another famous hairy monster, Momo, Missouri's own monster. I've searched far and wide to track down the only known copy of the original film. That's right, we're going to show it right here tonight. And together, we're going to explore Missouri and get to the bottom of this real case that inspired this should-have-been B-movie cult classic. So like I always say, spin the reel. The first encounter that uh, people attribute to uh, starting the Momo uh, craze, as it were, was in July 11th, 1972, at the foot of uh, Marzoff Hill at the Harrison home. The fellow that saw it first, his kids were out in the yard and saw something on, in their backyard uh, up on the backside of the hill on the north side, and it scared them, and they ran in the house and told their father. It bothered him enough that they moved. So I thought, well, I'll just make a little footprint here and then I'll go in and tell my mom and dad I found a footprint. And I made the impression and I went back in the house and I said, oh, look what I found. And somebody came out and authenticated the footprints. Due to the depth of the impressions, they determined its weight and its height and said, oh yeah, it's definitely from an animal.
dead. His brain is gone. In the news today, yet another sighting of the infamous Chicago Mothman. The Tribune is covering this latest, what they're calling, flap of sightings of this giant winged demonic thing people are seeing right here in downtown Chicago. When I'm involved in investigating cryptozoology, I usually try to categorize the branches that I'm going down. There's flying humans, there's big owls, there's big birds, there's pterodactyls, there's all kinds of different reports. I rarely meet people who don't either know someone or have a family member who had some sort of encounter in their life. And I saw the wings come up and, and take off, and he was standing on the white line on the edge of the road. The wing broke center line of the road. But for example, we have the sightings of the giant birds, the thunderbirds, which people always describe as having feathers. I get a second type of people describing something more quote-unquote prehistoric. I noticed that the wings were really long and they had one bend in the middle. I distinctly saw that. In, in early May of 2017, I had seen three reports come through the uh, MUFON database, and they each described a bat or bird-like being. And many saw this as, again, bad luck, an omen, that these creatures would show up and they were something that you did not want to see them. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Streggy, and here in the room with me, I have Small Town Monsters uh, director, Seth Breedlove. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It'd be, it'd be funny if you had just left it at Small Town Monsters, since that's <laughs> probably how most people just know me at this point. <laughs> well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in uh, doing documentaries? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a weird sort of uh, roundabout way that that I took to get to filmmaking as sort of my job. Okay. Um, and it's not really a it's not a career path that I can can define for for people who try to who, who want to to do what I'm doing. It's, 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 it's such a weird, like random string of events that brought us to this point, but I was always into, uh, into filmmaking from a, from a very young age. And I wanted to be, you know, a director when I was, when I was graduating high school, that was the, the big thing for me was I want to be, you know, I want to be a film director. And, um, of course that was 1990, 99, uh, when I was graduating. So, so it was a completely different time 
you know, um, it, as ridiculous as that seems, considering <laughs> it's not all that long ago. But I mean, things things have changed so drastically. Things have changed just since we started doing SDM uh, in 2014. So j- just between now and then, we've seen the the audience have the chance to grow because of of the, you know the pro- proliferation of of digital streaming media and and some of these platforms opening up. But yeah, basically. Um, the like the short answer is I, I'm I'm interested in in bizarre subjects like the paranormal and Bigfoot and cryptozoology and all that stuff and um, I have this horrible habit wherein um, if I'm into a subject and it's like a hobby I can't just let it remain a hobby for too long I inevitably try to make it like my job or something <laughs> I I have to do you know I have to somehow be throwing something back out into the ether um, that I've created that that sort of draws from that. And um, <clears throat> so in 2013, I put together a book proposal called Small Town Monsters that was a, um, basically like a case book of, of cases that, that re- revolved around uh, rural communities that had been sort of at one time uh, in the main, in, in major media due to, you know, like a, a, some sort of local event that that revolved around a monster, okay. um, like a, a cryptid or something like that. So I put together this book proposal and I sent it around. It was it was unanimously rejected. Uh, and a few months later, I met these guys that that had video equipment who wanted to do something uh, with me, and you know, as, as sort of a collaboration that would draw off of. Um, so what started out as a book project ended up being. A documentary yeah and i mean honestly it's not that it, it's no different from what the book proposal was it's just spread out into films instead of chapters and we've actually made four of four or five of our films are were in the initial book proposal okay. um so we've drawn off that none more so than our first which was minerva monster which um i i had literally written the chapter in the book already for that and, and interviewed original witnesses and people that were tied to that case so so yeah, it it started in 2014, and we we made Minerva Monster, and that did well enough as an independent film that we could uh, sort of uh, throw throw the money we made from that back into making another movie, which was our second film called Beast of Whitehall. And then okay. we just sort of repeated that pattern, um, and, and and all along we were also running Kickstarter campaigns at the beginning of each year, and so everything was like uh, everything was independent from the very beginning. Um, it's just that when we're we're at the point where we are now, it's insane to me to be able to look back and see that we've managed to grow the company the way we have, completely independently and autonomously. And 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 um, yeah, so that's the, I guess that's the 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 short end of it. The short answer okay. is 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 that's that's how it all became what it is. Well, before I get into um, talking with you about your first project, Minerva, uh, which mm-hmm. you've already effort, me- uh, mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you are actually my first uh, documentary uh, uh, doc- person that I've had mm-hmm. on the show that has had anything to do with documentaries. Cool. So uh, why don't you tell the audience what you think uh, a document on film is? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's um, for, uh, d- documentary should be um, at least the way the way that we're telling them. Obviously, this doesn't run the gamut, and there's a number of different ways to do documentaries. But ours are um, ours are very objective, journalistic approaches to uh, well-known sort of um, um, real-world subjects, um, and obviously, we are covering 
a um, a subgenre of a of you know that that is that is super bizarre and not taken very seriously. Um, so we we do try to approach it in a way that just kind of puts it out there and lets the audience make up their own mind. Um, and and typically we keep ourselves out of the films we're making too. It's not like I'm Michael Moore in in these documentaries. You know, it's it's um, now that changes with something like on the trail of which is our um mini series that, uh-huh. that we do we do one of those each year as well but the films themselves are just re- really cinematically retelling real world events uh in a way that's entertaining and exciting um okay. but also but also does a fair share of uh historical preservation as well so that's that is our sort of modus operandi when it comes to running small town monsters as films Okay. Um, uh, now, uh, diving into Minerva Monsters, the documentary. Now, did you go uh, and uh, and find a cast for your uh, documentary, or uh, d- did you just uh, go out and uh, and just find some people th- that you needed to interview? And uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the time, I was actually writing for newspapers as a as a freelance reporter, and I did that for a number of years. So, like, I I drew off of some of the skills I had learned as a as a reporter, okay. um, especially early on. But I mean, still to this day, obviously. But yeah, we we actually what we did is we went back and 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 when I say we, I guess it, at that point it was just me. Um, I would go back and I'd go into the original sort of newspaper archives. The Minerva monster case happened in 1978, but it was very, um, it was very mainstream. It was covered by a, a, two local papers here in Ohio, but it, it blew up and, and those stories ended up get getting picked up by the associated press, uh, right. ran, ran co- coast to coast. Um, and, and eventually like the story went international and you had media from Japan and Germany coming to Ohio to cover the Minerva monster case. So I, I went through those newspaper ar- articles, picked up as many names as I could, and then just started contacting people that were mentioned um, by okay. name. And, and in a lot of those cases the people had passed on and and things like that but i mean this was also like our first attempt at making a movie um and i didn't i mean none of us knew what we're doing i still i think to an extent none of us know what we're doing today either but like back then we really had no clue and there was no there was no um inkling of like trying to trying to capture a certain look or mood or you know visually it was all over the place and it was really just handy cams whenever cameras we had on hand at the time um Mm -hmm. but i I did know that i didn't want to make a documentary that was done like every other um television uh non-fiction show that that was focused on cryptids and the paranormal at the time all those shows focused on sort of following a group of leads running through the woods trying to find <laughs> a monster or a ghost or whatever. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to talk to the actual people who were involved in the case. So we interviewed the, one of the ladies that wrote um, the articles for for the local paper. We interviewed the sheriff, the Stark County Sheriff at the time, who, who was at the time, I think he was a deputy and, and was just on, tasked with sort of investigating what I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm pretty sure he thought was sort of like a hoax or something strange at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we interviewed uh, uh, members of the family and other people locally who'd had sightings, and um, and that was that was what we did. There was no, there were no recreations. There was no. Um, it's very different from something like Momo, which comes uh-huh. out later this year. I mean, it's almost the it's almost the uh, bizarro Momo. Like Momo's is fifty or sixty percent narrative. 
um, and then maybe 40, 50% documentary. And okay. Minerva Monster is like as straightforward uh, of a documentary as you can get. Okay. So um, now, what areas of Ohio did you end up going to uh, going to um, that you may not uh, not have mentioned in uh, your documentary? Uh, uh, what uh, what locales did, did you use? <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, we we tried to focus mostly on on the town of Minerva um, because you know, like the the entire idea originally, and this has expanded and changed, obviously. Um, with our films going forward, but but initially the the idea was to really just focus on one small town, and we started with Minerva. Um, we did interview one other person in that film from like East Canton, which is about fifteen minutes, uh, fifteen minutes west, I think it is, of Minerva. Um, so, but it was almost entirely in this tiny town, you know, called Minerva, Ohio, which is only about. Yeah, maybe like 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up in Bolivar, Ohio. Uh, okay. And it's a very little, uh, very, very small, very rural community um, that sits just off the Lincoln Highway, which, of course, the Lincoln Highway went, runs coast to coast. And there's there, there's like a whole movie waiting to be made about all the weird crap that's happened <laughs> in small towns off of the Lincoln Highway. Um, but, yeah, that's that that movie was focused entirely there, um, just in Minerva. Okay. Um, now, um, uh, did you use the narrator from your uh, first documentary and other documentaries? Uh, Minerva was actually, it, it was told in a way that we haven't done since, which was, there was no narrator. It was, uh, it was entirely told through the, uh, witnesses and other interview subjects. Okay. And, um, and, and, like I said, no recreations, very little in the way of like illustrations or anything like that. And, uh, you know, like I, I personally have a very difficult time watching Minerva these days, okay. but I'm, I'm told by people that they enjoy it still to me. I, I, I see so many of the, like the mistakes we made, uh, <laughs> when I, when I try to watch it, but I did, I, I will say the idea of making a documentary without a narrator really appeals to me. And I kind of want to, I keep wanting to go back to that just to try it now that, that we've learned so much about film editing and things like that. I I think we could do something really interesting with that storytelling device. Okay. Uh, Moving on to your beast of Whitehall uh, uh, production. Was there anything uh, 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 now in this documentary, you did use a narrative, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, and that one we uh, a, a buddy of mine named Clint Granberry, um, who actually worked in radio, um, did the did the narration, and um, yeah, that that one was where we finally, you know, there were so many things we missed out on with Minerva without having a narrator, um, because the one the, the best thing about a narrator is they can distill a lot of information into a very short period of time. So you can just have a narrator say, you know, mm-hmm. three sentences and all of a sudden you're, you're getting through all the information that would have been really drug out in a, you know, in a, um, in a, a I guess just interviews or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were lucky enough to, to have Clint on hand with, with Beast of Bray Road and, and he did the, uh, he handled the narration for that one. And, and yeah. And, and I mean, narr- that's the other thing is Beast of Whitehall is a 39 minute movie. Whereas Minerva was scaled back initially. There were cuts of Minerva that were like 90 minutes long. Um, <laughs> so, so very consciously, like even from the beginning, we had no interest in trying to, to reach some sort of 
uh, self-made goal, like runtime. Um, it was always like whatever's best for the story. And, and I just felt like 39 minutes on beast of Whitehall. We, we got in, we told the story and then we got out and I've always, I've, we, we try to do that actually with every movie. There's no attempt to sort of reach, um, you know, a, a, a runtime goal to sort of make ourselves feel more, more legitimate uh, <laughs> as filmmakers. Despite the fact that I see, I see that happen quite a bit with, with reviews and stuff I, by, by uh, quote unquote film, film nerds sort of critiquing <laughs> our stuff and saying it's not long enough or it's too, you know, too short or whatever. Totally understand. Now, um, where um, d- did you take um, your um, investigative uh, uh, looks in, in, in for uh, Beast of Whitehall um, uh, locations uh, for this uh, particular documentary? Well, th- yeah, that one was cool because we we did broaden. It went way out beyond what Minerva had done. Minerva was very concentrated in that one small community and uh, Beast of Whitehall sort of took in all of upstate New York, especially the Adirondacks. And um, it, it covered a wide um, a wide range of terrain and geography and all that kind of stuff. But it also was filmed. I mean, we filmed in many different places while we were in upstate new york i mean we we filmed um you know probably some of the locations were 200 miles apart and um so so it was it was filmed in a in a wide a a wide array of places uh across the adirondacks um and even into vermont a little bit um up there but but whitehall new york itself sits on the banks of uh lake champlain uh and it's sort of like this gorgeous uh one-time you know, very prosperous um, town that's seen better days as so many of the small towns that we cover have. Um, but it's a it's a really neat town. It was in a gorgeous location. It's like one of the only locations where I, we filmed where I I want to own a, a some sort of like summer home or move <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, it was all over upstate New York. Okay, um, was there any particular shot or scene that uh, that was a favorite of yours while you were uh, while you were in the editing room? <laughs> um, you know, like with Beast of Whitehall, some of the drone footage um, coming down Abear Road, and, and at the time, like I was flying a GoPro. Uh, I think it was like a GoPro Hero One. I think it was just the first generation GoPro on a on a on a Phantom Two. Um, <laughs> And and it looks terrible now when I watch it. I actually just watched some of it over the weekend. But um, you know, there's something really neat about that movie to me. I've always called it my baby because I had bought. I, I went out and I bought this camera, uh, a Sony Next VG900, which was a, a camcorder body but an interchangeable lens camera. Um, and it was sort of this weird melding of like DSLR with with camcorder. Um, and it was a, literally a handy cam body, but it, you could screw on a interchangeable lens and I had just bought it. Um, so most of the movie is like me trying to figure out how to focus. Cause I had never filmed before. Uh, yeah. and, and then when I watch it now, like it's, it's really interesting to me because the whole movie is shot by me, like every, pretty much every shot is me. And, um, and it's like watching, you know, it's like watching a toddler take their first steps or something. And like, it, it's, 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 um, there's a lot in that movie that I really enjoy now, even though, you know, obviously there's a ton of flaws and it's very amateurish, but, uh, but yeah, I'm really proud of that movie. So it'd be hard to nail down, but I do, I do enjoy some of the, some of the drone footage coming down a road and stuff like that. 
Okay. Uh, moving on to uh, uh, Bo uh, your Boggy Creek film. Um, how did you get in involved in that project? Um, the Boggy Creek monster, we, we, we had actually been talking with Lyle Blackburn for all, go, going all the way back to the making of our Minerva monster film in 2014. Um, okay. I, I had begun speaking with Lyle and Lyle is sort of the boggy Creek historian. Um, if there's a, a simple way to sort of distill what he does, he, he um, obviously he, he's done a lot of investigations uh, into like Bigfoot sightings around Falk, Arkansas, but he was also sort of a historian of the movie, the the original Legend of Boggy Creek um, film from the 1970s. He had done a lot of uh, tracking down of like people that had appeared in that movie and things like that. And so we, yeah, we had hooked up with Lyle, and he um, he wanted to make a movie that was essentially sort of a a retelling of a book he had written called The Beast of Boggy Creek okay. um, that sort of distilled years like decades of history of sightings of the falc monster um and then you know like how those sightings sort of influenced the original legend of boggy creek movie and then how those sightings continued after the making of that movie and and so um you know like that that is the one small town monsters film that we've made where it's like based on the work of you know someone and it's lyle blackburn in that case so so it was basically just a a retelling of his book uh the beast of boggy creek and and um and we you know it was filmed down in falco arkansas um i think that was filmed in the the uh april of 2016 okay and uh now how was that film's reception um you know what like uh, it, it's a weird it's a weird thing because we thought that would be like the big you know small town monsters blow up movie um like the one that would finally catapult us into you know from like this very cult sort of status uh which we still are at today but um it, it really didn't play out that way um i think this i think the reception to it has been solid and it's one it it won some film festival awards because because back then i was still actually submitting movies to film festivals which we don't okay. even, even really bother with that anymore but um the reception was solid um it's it's like when i watch it now it's the one that i pick apart the easiest like it's way too long it needs scenes cut out actually when we signed a, a release deal for that with terror films uh, a couple of years ago and when they um they gave me the opportunity to sort of like fiddle with it before they put it out uh, so i actually re i recut um that the the final act of that movie and changed it around a little bit so if i could i'd go back and do a director's cut but it would be like 20 minutes shorter than the <laughs> than the actual final cut of the movie but the reception was good and people still tell me like i still talk to people today that that claim that's like their favorite bigfoot movie okay very cool. Um, now, uh, did you use a different narrator for that particular documentary? Or? Yeah, so that was that was sort of the first one where where Lyle uh, stepped into the role of narrator, and it, and he's still narrating small town uh, small town monsters projects today. Um, not everyone, <coughs> but um, he record he did the narration for that, and then he did uh, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, and then he did the Bray Road Beast and Terror in the Skies, which just came out as well. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, so um, now, did you go anywhere else uh, besides where Boggy Creek is uh, in, in, for this documentary, or did, did, did you just stay in 
No, I mean that was spread out. Yeah, that was spread out as well across um, across southern Arkansas and and even into like Louisiana and Texas a little bit because you're down on on the it's a border state with all these three all three of those states sort of right there. You've you've also got Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma pretty close by. But I mean that was the that was the shoot where we were convinced we were all going to die at any given <laughs> moment because like there were there were alligators and 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 chiggers and fire ants. And one of my guys stepped out of a van, uh, when we had first gotten there and stepped right <laughs> over a, a copperhead snake. And, uh, I mean, there were, there was, you know, the, the running someone w- uh, in your crew would be uh, uh, going like crikey. And then all of a sudden an alligator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was, the running gag was that everything down there wanted to kill us, uh, oh, including, okay. including feral, uh, packs of feral, pit bulls that roam around the arkansas woods as well so so yeah that that was shot all over those this what they call the bottomlands, um which are very um very uh swampy sort of runoffs from some of the major rivers down there um and and it's uh it's a desolate sort of terrifying place especially once the sun goes down okay um, now moving on to the Mothman of of um, a Point Pleasant. Now, uh, when you went and did that docu- uh, uh, documentary, did, did you go actually down to uh, uh, Virginia to? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, th- th- that's been one of the easier shoots we've had actually because the the travel. Um, I'll actually be in Point Pleasant on Friday. Uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. It's only about two, two and a half hours from here. Okay. Um, so we would actually, there was only one time during the making of the Mothman of Point Pleasant where we actually stayed in Point Pleasant. Um, otherwise, it was it was literally like wake up, the whole crew gets in the car and we drive down there for the day and film then come home in the evening. Um, okay. So it was a very, very easy sort of shoot for us. Um, but, you know, like sort of sort of similar to Minerva in that the, the filming itself was sort of focused solely in that one uh, area. There was one trip out to Charleston, West Virginia, to to shoot an interview. But otherwise, everything was sort of shot right there, in in Point Pleasant. Now, how long uh, does it t- uh, uh, by this point did it take you to um, uh, research uh, enough uh, subject matter for uh, the documentaries themselves? Yeah, that uh, one that one was really tough because there there's actually a number of of movies about the mothman incident already out um so so the the task on that was kind of twofold it wasn't solely about like turning up witnesses and interesting people to sort of tell the mothman story it was also about um doing doing that in a way that hadn't been done before Mm-hmm. So, so we also had to find witnesses and people to talk about it who hadn't been interviewed a hundred times in, in every other documentary out there. Um, so we, we did manage to, to turn up a number of, of original witnesses and, and people tied to that case that, that hadn't been on camera before, but the, the real, like the, the turning point for that film was actually Jeff Wamsley who runs, there's a Mothman museum actually okay. in Point Pleasant, West, um, West Virginia. He had uh, a number of audio tapes that he had done years ago um, <laughs> with some of the original witnesses who have since passed away. Um, and he gave those to us. We were actually able to use those in the film, um, you know, and so, so 
viewers could actually hear the original witnesses nice. telling their stories for themselves. And then, you know, we sort of covered those over with uh, Chris Scouse uh, animatics, animated sequences as well. So, so yeah, the, the, it was it was a really difficult shoot in that uh, we had to present something that hadn't already been seen, and and at the same time do do a, make a film that was an introduction to that story, and and it has acted as an introduction for most people to the, the whole Mothman story. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, now, moving on from the Mothman of of, of Point Pleasant, you went and and uh, out and did Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. How did you get involved in that particular project? Uh, you know, that was like one of those things where we had we we had um, by by then that was our fifth movie, and we we're getting sort of bored with the idea of let's solely tell like one monster, one, one geographical area. Um, and my friend, Mark Matsky, who actually narrated and co-wrote invasion on chestnut Ridge. He's a, he's a big fan of the work of a, of a investigator named Stan Gordon, who's been sort of a like UFO slash cryptid investigator going back to like the sixties. Okay. And, um, actually the fifties, I think it'd be 57, but, um, Mark was a big fan of his work and, um, I thought it would be fun for Mark and I to actually co-wrote co-write something together and, and tell these stories that Mark was such a big fan of. Um, so that was the whole, the whole impetus for, for it was like, let's just do something fun and different from what we'd already done. It's sort of an, uh, almost like an anthology film okay. it's it's told you know it's it, it it's not completely dissimilar from other stm movies but it tells like a really wide uh array of stories and um it, it they're all centered around this one area in pennsylvania called the chestnut ridge and it starts with a ufo crash uh the kecksburg uf ufo crash and then it kind of expands out into bigfoot stories and by the time it ends you're watching people recount seeing orbs in the woods going into portals and, and you know people seeing werewolves and all kind of crazy stuff so it's a it's a really bizarre movie I actually just rewatched it over the weekend and uh, it's it's one of my favorites of ours like it's so weird and, and visually it's really d different from everything we've done since then um but yeah the idea behind it and the, the whole impetus to do it was just having you know sort of a fun story to tell with my buddy okay very cool uh now uh, now, did you use uh, a narrator in the, that particular one as well, or? Yeah, that was actually Mark. Mark, okay. Mark co-wrote and and narrated the film. Um, okay. And he's narrated. He he also narrated our uh, on the trail of champ miniseries as well. Okay. Um, which uh, on the trail of champ uh, th that wasn't directed by you, correct? That was no, that's the one. Yeah, I just produced that one. Um, okay. It's directed directed by my buddy Alexander Petikov. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, now I'm just gonna uh, talk about the Flatwoods monster, uh, where you it came up to Illinois, correct? No, or, Flatwoods is actually West Virginia again. Yeah, it is. Was, yeah. Flatwoods, Flatwoods, West Virginia. Um, and that would have been our, let me see, that's up to our six. So we, we put that out, uh, actually in April of last year in, of 2018, it came out, uh, I think April 3rd. Of last year but but that story sort of revolves around this strange ufo crash that supposedly happened in 1952 in in flatwoods west virginia and uh it was followed by a sighting of some sort of 13 foot tall cylindrical uh strange mechanical monster uh, by some kids 
that happened in 1952. And we, we made that movie. It was a really different sort of shoot from some of our others. It wasn't, it wasn't done in a short period of time. It was actually a really prolonged drawn out um, production schedule in which we actually made two other movies sort of while we were working on that one. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was very strange. We started shooting that in July of 2017, which would have been in the smack dab in the middle of doing post-production on invasion on chestnut Ridge. Um, so we made that movie. We just kind of shot it whenever we had time. And, uh, when it came out, it actually was like the most expensive thing we'd ever done because we, Mm -hmm. we, we hired, um, Chris Galf to do animation. And then we had Santino Vitale, who's this incredibly talented, uh, special effects genius. Um, he did like these really cool stop motion animation, animated sequences and, and all kinds of cool stuff that we have in that movie. It has a very like 1950s <laughs> sci-fi B movie vibe to it. Okay. Um, and that one was actually a return to being narrated by uh, Clint, Clint Granberry because originally that movie in uh, the Flatwoods monster was going to be packaged um, by terror films with the beast of Whitehall. Um, but okay. we ended up not, we ended up never doing that for some reason. So we have both those movies narrated by Clint simply because they were originally going to be packaged together and then it never happened. Oh, okay. Um, now, uh, how was this reception for both invasion on chestnut Ridge and the flatwoods monster? Uh, invasion has been incredible because invasion, um, was sort of a flop when it came out in terms of like sales and rentals. Like it just didn't, it did great on DVD, but it, it, it just was not getting picked up in, in rentals and purchases on Amazon. And that's probably just cause it's a weird subject. It, it, you know, no one knows what it is, but that movie, um, once it hit Amazon prime, it found a whole new audience and, and like among the audience that sort of discovered that movie was Adam Wingard, who's who uh, directed the Blair Witch, um, the Blair Witch sequel that just came out a few years ago and he's making Kong versus Godzilla next year. And um, Adam, Adam actually contacted me shortly after he watched the movie just to talk about like weird paranormal (laughs) subjects. And so like we became buddies and, and, and there, there are a number of other people I've talked to since then who sort of discovered that movie. Like that's the movie that got them in the small town monsters movies. So I, uh, it's either that one or the Mothman and point pleasant that sort of stand as, as my favorites that we've done. But, um, and, and for flatwoods, the flatwoods was weird because like flatwoods came out and it was a, it was a 41 minute or 44 minute short film essentially. And it did not, find a very large audience upon release um now now one thing i will say about that one is like the shelf life seems to be just continuous for flatwoods it it it, it never it's never doing like wildly successful but it's always got new people sort of discovering it and talking about it and like visually it's probably one of my favorite movies of ours um just because it's so short it's it's a 44 minute film but it's chocked full of like animation and 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 recreations and it's very like exciting visually and i love that 1950s sort of b movie monster movie vibe that it has um and it also has some of my favorite music uh by brandon dalo so yeah the the reception to both of them was was good um you know critically there at that point in time there, there wasn't our movies weren't really being reviewed by anyone. There was, there was a website, I think maybe horror fuel or like some of the smaller sites would, would pick up a movie here and there and review it. Um, 
and the, the the few reviews that did pop up for for Flatwoods were really good, but Invasion on Chestnut Ridge had none. Like I don't well, remember any reviews for it. You, uh, as a small time reviewer, it's it it, it was if I hadn't gotten into doc, uh, documentaries like several years back, I probably would have had a harder time reviewing a documentary because you don't want to say too much about it. Mm -hmm. And yet you do want to say enough of it uh, or about it to have people get interested in it. Yeah. And and I also think like the the movies are, are especially back then the, the eyes on us were not um, sort of anywhere near what, what, where they are today it was you know like we <clears throat> our audience back then was a, it was a few hundred thousand and today it's like five million so the you know just just to the growth between now and then has been at least substantial enough to to get some other eyes on our our projects definitely uh so after the flatwoods uh, a, a monster uh, which took, uh, took you to west virginia you came over to wisconsin Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, filmed one on the Beast of Bray or the Bray Road Beast. Yeah, the Beast of Bray Road is fine. We we only <laughs> called it the Bray Road Beast because Linda already had a book called the Beast of Bray Road, and there was actually a a movie, uh, an asylum movie made for sci-fi called yep. <laughs> called the Beast of Bray Road, and we didn't want to have to compete with it, so we just changed it up. I mean, it wasn't it it's interesting to go from flatwoods to bray road because the the styles um and and everything about the two of them are very different um the editing styles that you know the the editing technique i used on on both of them is polar opposite one of them is sort of, sort of told very methodically and slowly in the flatwoods monster uh and bray road beast is like crazy quick cutting and all kinds of of stuff that i i didn't um, that I that I kind of had to teach myself at that time, and okay. um, and yeah, the 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 Bray Road Beast was filmed in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and around that that sort of uh, Wisconsin area. And I and I was just looking at footage from that movie um, the other night, and it's really interesting to see the sort of like dichotomy between uh, the the Midwest of the Bray Road Beast and the Midwest of Terror in the Skies, where you've got Bray Road Beast looks like a, a real world Tim Burton movie. Okay. Just just because the 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 weather was the way it was when we were there. We were there at the beginning of April, but there had been ice storms um all leading all up to that. Um and there were for some reason there were like crows everywhere. Um and there was constantly these very like very um distinguishable dark clouds like every shot is sort of overshadowed by the sky that looks like it's just going to start you know dropping lightning at any minute um and it's a very it's a very unique uh looking movie it's it's not at all what we went into it sort of planning to do we originally that was going to be like our hammer uh, homage movie or big hammer horror homage movie. And it, okay. and I think it turned into something completely different. Um, after we shot one of the interviews, um, the John Fredrickson interview, um, John was like an animal control officer who, okay. who witnessed all this, um, what he believed was like a cult activity involving animal sacrifices and stuff. And it was such a dark turn, um, that it sort of informed the entire style of the movie going forward. But, some of that hammer kind of like influence is still 
prevalent in the, the opening and closing scenes. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a very stark contrast between the Flatwoods Monster, which is a pretty bright and peppy movie, and then the, the Bray Road Beast, which is the darkest thing we've done. Okay. Uh, so, uh, after, uh, the Bray Road piece, uh, you, uh, no, uh, from what I understand, what was the reaction to, uh, the, the Bray Road beast to the, to the public? Yeah. I mean, in terms of our movies, it's, it's, um, it's, it's the Bray Road beast and the Mothman of Point Pleasant are why people, you know, know us. I think, um, th- those are probably the two movies that people most typically say are their favorites. Um, the Bray Road Beast, uh, you know, is, is, was, seemed to really be, um, it received a very strong reception. I think some of that is because it came out close to Halloween. It's so dark and creepy. Um, people really got into what we were going for with that movie. Um, and so, yeah, the, the reviews were super positive. Um, they continue to be positive to this day. We, we recently received, um, you know, contacts from from major uh, Hollywood production companies wanting to license footage for like TV shows. Um, you like basically reusing our Bray Road Beast footage. We turned them down, but um, <laughs> but yeah, there it's 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 been it's been extremely well received. Nice. So um, ultimately, after the uh, the Bray Road be- uh, Beast, you mm-hmm. went and started. Uh, from what I understand, the On the Trail series. Well, the On the Trail of series was actually uh, sort of built with On the Trail of Champ, which was directed by Alexander. But okay. um, what excited me about what Alexander did was that he did it all by himself. Um, he made a five-episode miniseries that runs almost two hours long and t- entirely by himself. And um, I wanted to do that myself. <laughs> I wanted to do that myself, um, but where Alexander was sort of focused on just Lake Champlain, I I decided it would be a great idea to expand that out to like the entire United States until sort of a, a retelling of the entire Bigfoot f- subject from beginning to to end. Okay, uh, and make a six six episode miniseries, and it runs close to three hours long. It's just under three hours long. Um, and yeah, that was like my quote unquote side project that I started filming last year. Um, and then, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it was massive in scope. It was supposed to be a fun side project and turned into like the hardest thing I've ever had to sort of work on in post-production. I mean, it was, (laughs) it was constantly evolving and changing during, during the post-production side of things. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of right now in terms of the work we've done. It, it just took so much to, to sort of hammer it into place. And uh, we actually start filming the follow-up to that uh, on the trail of UFOs in about so two, two weeks. So it's going to be a season two of it then. Uh, season three. Yeah. Yeah. On the trail of champ would be one uh, on the trail of Bigfoot is two. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. So essentially it's an ongoing series. It's just easier to break it down to like mini series format. And then um, when we release those on Amazon, they're sort of edited into like one or two movies. Actually in the case of on the trail of UFOs, it's probably going to end up being like three movies because on the trail of UFOs is looking like it's going to be nine, nine or 10 episodes instead of six. Okay. So uh, now, um ultimately you came over to uh, after that to chicago mm-hmm. to start fil- uh, filming terror in the skies yeah um why don't you tell us a little bit about that project and how you got into it 
Yeah, I mean, on the on the or yeah, um, t- Terror in the Skies was sort of, I, I guess, a response to Br- Bray Red Beast because Bray Red Beast was so dark. Um, and I kind of wanted to do something that was less dark. And, um, so yeah, the, the idea behind that was sort of like drawing off of, um, my love for visually anyway, for, for like some of the early Spielberg movies and, and, um, you know, doing something that had that like Midwest sort of spirit to it. Um, uh, something that was a look at, uh, not just like one or two, uh, cryptid phenomena but but multiple so we we covered you know thunderbirds and and prehistoric uh people that claim to have seen like pterodactyls in the skies above illinois and then also yeah like the chicago mothman as well um and do it all through this lens of of you know like the what what that area what that sort of uh you know that what they call the prairie state what what that looks like and how the train the terrain changes so drastically and all that kind of stuff and really like delve into um how these like winged birds or giant winged cryptids that that people have been seeing have been seen there for literally for centuries and how it's sort of baked into the history of of illinois itself nice uh and uh now uh, is there a particular scene from any of the uh, the documentaries that we've uh, uh, talked about so far, uh, far uh, that that you would like to share with us uh, about uh, from Terror in the Skies? It could be Beast of the Road. Or- yeah, I mean, Terror in the Skies opens with a scene um, that I had sort of dreamed up long before I'd, I'd even really definitively figured out what terror in the skies was. Um, and it was just this scene that was going to focus on a little boy who wanted to be a pilot. Um, you know, like clearly had a very, um, uh, uh, like interest in discovery and, and, you know, it it just kind of capture like a pioneer spirit. And, um, and so I, I, yeah, I went out and shot that entire scene sort of myself with my, my nephew Graydon. Um, and it's, it, it came out exactly how I wanted it to, which is not typically the case. I um, mean, it's even crazier if you sort of realize that we shot the entire movie or we shot the not entire movie, but we shot that entire scene in like a day and a half. And it's a very, um, it's, it's a pretty like detailed scene in terms of like what we're doing with his his action and all that kind of stuff and and needing the sky to look a certain way which it ended up looking a certain way and it just the everything about that opening to terror in the skies uh the bookend scene is is exactly what i wanted it to be going into it and then there's there's a closing scene in that movie as well um of this abandoned house that we had uh, sort of found by by luck out in the okay. middle of nowhere in Illinois, those, those two things, like the, the way those scenes sort of bookend the movie are, are perfect. Okay. Uh, and they're, they're probably two of my favorite things that we've ever done. Okay. Um, now moving on to Momo, which uh, has not as yet come out yet, but, uh, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it or as much of it as you want to. Yeah, that is, so that is like, um, that, that's probably the weirdest movie we've ever made, which is saying something. Um, <clears throat> Momo is a, a love letter to like seventies grindhouse cinema and like cable access, um, you know, like horror hosts. Okay. Um, it's, it's, uh, it is a very, very, um, 
very detailed movie. It's a, um, like I said earlier, it's like 50% narrative, 50% documentary. Um, however, the, the, the narrative is very, very much, it serves a purpose and it's there for a reason. It's there to sort of distinguish the difference between fiction and reality. Okay. And, um, I've, I've compared it to like Rashomon maybe a little bit, um, <laughs> with, with the sort of documentary, uh, aspects of the film setting the record straight on what the, you know, the fictional retelling of a story gets wrong. Um, and I think, you know, I think audiences are going to have a blast with the movie and have a lot of fun. I think there's going to be a lot of like laughing and, you know, silly jump scares and stuff like that. But I think it's going to serve a purpose beyond just being entertaining and fun. I, I, I think it's a very, uh, it's a very sort of insightful look at, um, how myths are made and how, how stories can become something, you know, uh, how a real event can be something, become something other than, you know, what it, what it started its life as. And, okay. um, I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm really excited about that one. It really was, um, there was a writing process. There was a whole writing team of myself and Jason Yudis and Mark Matsky, um, who sat down and sort of hammered out all the details of the movie. Um, and and then we had to you know we had to go through this entire insanity of like shooting a narrative film and a documentary simultaneously um and it's it's um i i can tell you from like editing it day in and day out right now i think it's going to end up being like sort of the definitive small town monsters movie like i think it'll be the one that people really love and revisit and look to as being like the the one that when someone asked them what is small town monsters, they say, well, check this out. And this will kind of explain the whole thing to you. There's one more uh, uh, thing on how much research went in, uh, went into an, uh, uh, the uh, terror in the skies and Momo, uh, which I know that uh, those are two, uh, two of your most recent productions. Yeah. Yeah. Terror in the skies is pretty easy. Like from a, from a research standpoint, it, it okay. didn't, didn't require a ton. Momo, on the other hand, I, I actually brought on a research assistant, um, Heather Mosier, who helped me out with a lot of the, the preliminary research. And, uh, she, she was sort of the genius behind tracking down a lot of the, the, the people tied to that original case. Um, and and unfortunately, like many of those people are either dead and gone or don't want to talk about it. But we were able to turn up some really great interviews with locals um, from Louisiana, Missouri, and and that's what I'm talking about with like the the movie being sort of the quintessential small town monsters movie. I just don't think any other SDM movie has managed to capture the the sort of like small town hysteria that can grow around one of these monster cases like this movie does it really captures the the hysteria of the time and and how excited people got uh about the idea of a of a giant hairy monster walking around behind their house okay very cool so um where do you think that uh the future of small town monsters will be taking you next after yeah, we well, like I said, we start. We actually start filming uh, on the trail of UFOs in Nevada and Arizona in about two weeks. Uh, we'll be out at Area Fifty One, and you know all those Sedona and all that kind of stuff. We'll be out there in a couple of weeks, um, and then from there we'll be going to uh, start production on uh, the Mothman Legacy. And I actually might even be doing some early filming for the Mothman Legacy in the next couple of weeks, and that will be sort of a direct sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Oh, okay. Um, and then after that, uh, it's the Mark of the Bell Witch, 
which is probably going to be, be that'll yeah. that'll be yeah that'll be our late 2020 release. So those are the next three STM projects that we're working on. Okay, very cool. Now, where can we find your uh, merchandise and uh, other um, uh, other things of that na- nature, uh, uh, so that the audience may know? Yeah, I mean, if people want to watch our movies, a lot of them are on Amazon Prime. Um, you can check out Amazon or Vimeo on Demand or Viddy Space. Uh, SmalltimeMonsters.com <laughs> has d- DVDs. The good thing about the DVDs is they include like bonus features, and we always do these little like you know, 15 to 20 minute uh, behind the scenes making of documentaries that are on the DVDs. The the Boggy Creek Monster DVD actually has like two hours, th- two or three hours worth of behind the scenes stuff on it. So it's actually pretty crazy. But um, yeah, if 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 you want to be a small town monster supporter, that's always the best way other than uh, at the beginning of each year around February, beginning of February, we, we launch a Kickstarter to, to fund all the projects we work on throughout the year. So um, those are those are the best ways and following us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all that as well. Okay, very cool. Now, if there was someone who uh, uh, suddenly was walking by, uh, past you on the street and, uh, and looked at you and were like, oh, wait a minute, aren't you that set breed love gu- uh, guy? Uh, what uh, um, documentary of yours would you recommend that person if they had not yet seen your documentary? Um, probably, yeah, it's probably the Mothman of Point Pleasant or Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. I think those two really boil down what we do and they're, they're both, they both turned out quite well. Um, and we're, we're all, you know, pretty proud of, of how both of those movies came, came out. So it'd be one of those two. Okay. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you being able to, uh, come on and, uh, and, uh, at least, uh, uh, somewhat explained to the uh, 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 the, uh, those uh, that are out there, uh, and uh, a little bit about yourself and and to me. I'm I'm more or less a listener, and I love hearing the stories of uh, how um, how directors and actors and editors uh, do their work, and uh, I appreciate um, you coming on the show. So. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on and and talking about filmmaking rather than just have me uh, tell scary stories the whole time. <laughs> well, if I had you tell uh, exactly what they were about, uh, then people would have no interest in seeing them. <laughs> yeah, true. true. Yeah, so, um, is there anything else that you would like the audience to know uh, before we uh, wrap up here? No, that's that's it, man. We hit it. We hit it all. So no, just uh, just uh, thanks for yeah. Thanks again for having me on. Definitely, man. Well, uh, I think that's all the time we have for today, folks. But uh, definitely check out um, uh, Seth's work, and uh, uh, hopefully um, he'll uh, impress uh, a, a lot a lot more people with uh, his his work here. So uh, uh, thank you uh, for listening, and have a great day, evening, or morning wherever you are, folks. Thank you so much. Alrighty. I don't know how much value I have in this universe, but I do know that I made a few people happier than they would have been without me. And as long as I know that, I'm as rich as I ever need to be.